you're in pretty close proximity to him. I mean, you're, you're in his shadow. Uh, the secret place here, we think, is the, the place the world knows nothing about. That's why it's a secret. Uh, the world doesn't know about this. Uh, it's the place of communion with God, of intimacy with God, of clo- being close to God. Right under his shadow, as it were. It's the place of protection. Uh, those who dwell there, uh, they live there. And they are blessed in, in, in God's shadow. They live in the shadow of the Almighty. That secret place. Now again, in Psalm 90, verse 1, Moses spoke of God as being the dwelling place of his people. But here in Psalm 91, verse 1, the idea seems to be taken a little further. uh, Picturing the secret place, in effect, as the inner chamber. Uh, Thus, the picture is one of complete security as God hovers over us in intimate fellowship. Verse 2, I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him I will trust. Now, there are four key names here for God used in verses 1 and 2, emphasizing God as protector and our security in Him. And these are, God has many names in the Scripture. These are great names, powerful names, uh, that really speak to the security that we have. Uh, Elion, uh, Most High, Shaddai, Almighty, Yahweh is Lord, the eternal unchanging one, uh, his loyal covenant love, you know, he's commitment, he doesn't change, he's, it's loyal. Uh, Elohim, uh, common word for God, the supreme being, that idea. These are all strong names for God, emphasizing his powerful protection for those who belong to him. Verses 3 and 4, God's protection, comfort, and care. Verse 3, Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. Now, in picturesque language here, the writer illustrates God's protective care of his, of his own. The fowler, that's kind of an old word. When's the last time you used that word, fowler? Uh, it's a bird catcher. Right? Somebody's trying to catch a bird. They're they're, they're the fowler. And you know what you have to do to catch birds? Uh, You uh, set traps for them. Uh, You you ensnare them. Uh, You're tricky. You're deceitful about how you bring them down. And and so he's really applying this to people who are, you know, trying to ensnare you. They're trying to to catch you. They're trying to get you off guard. Uh, That's the idea. And God protects you from such people. That's the idea. He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler, from those people who are in their deceptive ways going about to try to trip you up and ensnare you and bring you down. And it's sad to say, but there are those people who are doing that. The devil has his people, and he's trying to orchestrate them to do their thing and and trying to bring God's people down all the time. Uh, Verse, uh, uh, I read verse 4 already. Uh, Notice it says there at the end of verse 3, and from the, from the perilous pestilence, uh, perilous pestilence, deadly disease or plague. Now, that's interesting. I mean, we're just coming through a pandemic, right? And uh, some people die and some people don't. Uh, you know, it's interesting. Uh, as you study the, the old timers, if you will, the people down through the church age, a lot of times, I mean, they would be driven back to the scriptures, and we have to trust in God in the middle of this situation. Uh, there was a, a British guy by the name of Lord Craven. Uh, 
And uh, he was a Christian. Uh, this is, uh, by the way, this story comes from James Boyce. And it says uh, he was a nobleman who was living in London when plague ravaged the city in the 15th century. Uh, that's quite a while back, right? Yeah, longer than most of us can remember. But anyway, in order to escape the spreading pestilence, Craven determined to leave the city uh, for his country home. Seemed like a wise thing to do, right? Let's get out of London. People are dying right and left here. So he determined to leave the city for his country home, as many of his social standing did. He ordered his coach and baggage made ready, but as he was walking down one of the halls of his home, about to enter his carriage, he overheard one of his servants say to another, quote, I suppose by my Lord's quitting London to avoid the plague that his God lives in the country and not in the town. <laughs> he said, it was a straightforward and apparently innocent remark. But it struck Lord Craven so deeply, he canceled his journey, saying, My God lives everywhere and can preserve me in town as well as in the country. I will stay where I am. So he stayed in London, he helped the plague victims, and he did not catch the disease himself. Isn't that an interesting story. You say, uh, you, well, you know, God could work that way, but maybe he'd work another way. Well, he could. I mean, could use him bury him in the country too, I suppose. But it's just interesting how God worked in this situation. And as he was overhearing this servant thinking, eh, that, you know, this, is, this is how my testimony is coming across. Like, oh no, okay, stop. I'm going to change directions here. Now we do want to be wise. We do want to be wise. Uh, but at the same time, realize it is God who preserves our going out and our coming in. Uh, it's truly our times are in his hands. Again, we want to be balanced. We do want to be wise. But we do want to come back to the fact that God is sovereign. Uh, we want to have a different perspective when it comes to these things than the world has. I don't know if the, the church always does real well here. I don't know that we have a whole lot more peace and uh, more confidence uh, than the world. They're, they're going crazy. I mean, this is everything to them. Uh, we need to come back to the reality of God uh, again and again. Uh, God covering you with his feathers is a meta, uh, metaphorical way of depicting intimate protection. Uh, it is a wonderful symbol of the union of power and gentleness. Under his wings we take refuge. His truth is our shield. Uh, shield was thought to be the, the rounder, uh, smaller shield. And the buckler was a, a larger rectangular shield. Uh, and again, the idea is that of God's protection in, in one form or, an, or another. Verse 5 and 6, the result of God's protection and care. You shall not be afraid. I like that, right? You shall not be afraid. I think uh, you keep the right perspective. You don't have to be afraid. What did Jesus say the night before he was crucified? Be very afraid, guys. Things are really going to get bad. I'm going to die tomorrow. No, he didn't say that. Let not your heart be troubled. What? Neither let it be afraid. You believe in God, believe also in me. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in the darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A lot of things to make us fearful in this world, constantly, all over the place, day and night, day and night. And he talks about day and night here. And when God is your protector, you don't have to be afraid. Again, you say, well, how does this intersect with human responsibility? Well, that's a great question. I do think we want to be wise. 
when he foolish should say, well, you know, I could just go into any danger zone and I don't have to be, God will take care of me. Yeah, he may take you to heaven. <laughs> uh, so I do believe in being balanced. But we don't have to be afraid. I don't think God wants us to live in constant fear. Oh, no, terrible things. Turn off the joking news. I mean, those fear mongers, if there's something that can scare you, I mean, they will find it. And they will, you know the bird flu's coming, don't you? It is. Somebody was talking to me about the bird flu this week. All shit coming. You know what? There's always something coming. Always. Uh, There's always something. Uh, What a wonderful symbol here of uh, God uh, protecting us in a gentle way and and yet in a a powerful way as we take refuge under his wings. Uh, Metaphorically speaking, you know, and there's intimacy there. You see those chicks, they get right under the the wing of, of the mother hen. I mean, very close intimacy there. And I think this is for those who walk in an intimate relationship with God. There is special protection there. His truth uh, is our shield and uh, our buckler. And uh, we don't have to be afraid uh, by night or by day. Um, After all, you are in his care, which is the dominant theme of this psalm. Uh, How many times God says to his children again and again in the scriptures, uh, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. He is there for our protection. He is our protector. So we don't have to be afraid of the dangers of the day or the dangers uh, by night. God has it all covered. Again, we do want to be wise, but we do want to trust in the Lord to take care of us. Uh, I love this uh, and have often quoted this. We often quote this to our children. Whenever I'm afraid, I will trust in you. Uh, what do you do? I mean, we're all human here. And, and uh, there's times, you know, I've really thought sometimes I'm pretty bold. And then I can be scared out of my mind. Uh, you ever had that experience? I mean, I've had that experience. It's like, wow, how come I, I've been so, I'm, I'm, I'm really not acting very bold here. Uh, when I'm afraid, what am I going to do? I turn to God. I find my strength in Him. I will trust in you. Verses 7 and 8, assurance for the believer. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand. The soldier kind of likes this idea, right? I've got a thousand falling here, 10,000 here. This is is encouraging. Uh, But it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes you shall look and see the reward, that is the recompense, of the wicked. God is able to protect his people against outrageous odds. And frankly, we always got the outrageous odds against us as God's people in this world. Uh, A thousand falling at your side, a a thousand to one against all odds is the idea. Wow, that's amazing. Ten thousand makes the point exponentially. God's protection can take care of us, even if it's ten thousand against one. Verses 9 through 13. uh, Promises of God's protection. He really kind of goes to seed on this emphasis here. Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the most high, your dwelling place. So again, this applies to those who put their trust in the Lord, who have made him their refuge, their dwelling place. No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. Again, this does not promise that God's people will never experience any afflictions. We know they do. I mean, look at everything Paul went through. Uh, in his life. 
Uh, it is interesting. Uh, some have pointed out uh, the promises uh, regarding evil. Uh, no evil shall befall you. Uh, in the lives of his children, God does ultimately work all things together for good. Uh, yes, uh, hurtful things do happen. But through it all, God has sovereign good purposes. And we are immortal until our job is done. Until he is done working in and through us and on us. So I think this verse needs to be understood in the big scheme of things in, in light of eternity. Uh, Jesus prayed that his people would be kept from the evil one. John 17, 15. 1 John five eighteen says, The wicked one cannot touch us. Uh, not in the ultimate sense. We do wrestle with these forces of darkness. But ultimately they cannot have their way with us. And God is sovereignly working all things together for our good. Verse 11 and 12. These are the verses that we want to get to here. Verse 11. For he will give his angels charge over you. To keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up. Lest you dash your foot against a stone. So God uses his angels to protect his own. Second uh, Kings chapter 6, reveals the story about the servant of Elisha. And he was concerned because you see there was a, an army surrounding the city and they were after Elisha. And so the servant is saying this to Elisha. Boy, it looks like we're in big trouble. I'm paraphrasing. And uh, this is what happened there. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 17. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Wow. If we could see the angelic presence guarding and protecting us, I'm sure we would be astounded. Again, our times are in God's hands, and we are immortal until our job is done. The angels serve God's purpose in our lives for good. And they serve incognito, right? I have not seen an angel that I know of, right? Now, maybe I haven't. They were just incognito and I just didn't recognize them, you know. Uh, you know, I would tip them extra big if I knew it was an angel, right? We, we, don't, know, we don't see them, but they are there. There's probably a great host of them even here tonight, Right? I mean, I don't know that, but my guess would be they are here. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11 talks about even how we carry on in the body because the angels are observing what's going on in the local church. So uh, I always think they probably smile at each other when I make these comments in a sermon, but it will be interesting on the other side. Uh, Psalm 34, 7. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. And then again, in Hebrews 1.14, the New Testament. Are they not all ministering spirits? Speaking of angels. Sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation. They're here serving God's purposes in the lives of his people. When I was in Bible college, I a lot of times would go out late at night all by myself for prayer walks. <clears throat> Might not be always advisable. But I, you know, in those days it was still pretty safe. At least I thought so. 
And uh, one night I was praying uh, out at a, a local park that was kind of a couple blocks away from where the school was, <laughs> kind of a hidden area. It was a dark area. I don't think there was a single light in the whole park. And uh, uh, we called it affectionately Mosquito Hill, appropriately named, I think. But on this night, as I was praying about 25 yards away or so, I all of a sudden sensed a figure walking straight towards me. And it definitely alarmed me out there in the dark. Somebody's walking straight towards me. And I immediately cried out. I had memorized this verse. I immediately cried out, The angel Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. (laughs) Just that quick, whoever was walking towards me went the other direction. I don't know if it was because they heard a voice in the dark or were scared themselves. I don't know what happened there. But I know I, I quoted this verse, and I know the person went the other way. Uh, who knows all that's involved in these things all the time. Uh, these are the verses here in Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12, that the devil quoted to Jesus in trying to tempt him. Now, you know, it's a really, the devil's got a really big ego to, to really try to take on Jesus and think, you know, I, I think I can get him. I think I can, you know, trip him up. I can trick him. I can get him to go along with my, you know, mischievous evil plot here. Uh, and that's what he did, though. Uh, we read about it in Matthew, 20, uh, Matthew 4, verses 5 and 6. The devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, the highest place on the temple. And said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, it is written, I got a Bible verse. He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Now note that Jesus did not deny that these verses applied to him. He didn't say, you know what, that doesn't apply. He didn't say that. Uh, Satan knew that these verses certainly applied to the Messiah. He, above all people, trusted the Lord, as we see emphasized throughout this psalm. Uh, The problem was that the devil tweaked the meaning here by misquoting the text, by only partially quoting it. Uh, Note uh, what he left out here. Psalm 91.11, he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. But he said, the devil said, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. It is written, so he's quoting now, he shall give his angels charge over. But notice what he left out. To keep you in all your ways. He left that part out. So he left out a very important qualifier. To keep you in all your ways. The devil is a master at misquoting or, you know, quoting very close to what it says and yet twisting it just a little bit so as to be deceptive. I always think about this, or a lot of times think about this quote from from Tozer. The devil is a better theologian than any of us and is a devil still. Uh, You know, the devil is a brilliant person. Evil, but he's smart. He knows all about, you know, deception. The angelic protection for the Messiah, and and really by application, any of God's people, is promised in connection with obedience. When we walk in the ways of God, in all of His ways, in obedience and dependence upon God. Uh, This is the, uh, the, the promise of the verse. 
The devil wanted Christ to wow the crowd by throwing himself down from the pinnacle of the temple and thereby show himself to be the son of God. That would be impressive, right? Wow! Look at that! Very impressive. But, But Jesus, in his state of humility, never did anything apart from the direction of his father. You see, it was not about himself in that sense, but rather doing the will of the Father. He was here on the Father's mission. Of course, his as well, the triune God's mission, but always took his directions from the Father. He's the perfect servant, as we see in Isaiah and all those servant passages. Well, this shows us how the devil often works in quoting, rather misquoting, the Bible. Uh, Many quote part of a verse and really quote something that's a little ajar. It's, it's a little out of context. Uh, part of it is missing. We're not looking at the whole picture. Uh, this is really what false teachers are all about. Christ rebuked the devil and really showed us the right way to use the Scriptures. You see, he appealed to the whole counsel of God and showed that rightly dividing the Word involves the whole Word and understanding it in context and in harmony with the full counsel. Now, most all false teaching is a matter of not rightly dividing the word. And this is such an important reality. Uh, Paul told Timothy, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Someone has said, one cannot invoke a promise of God like a magic spell without appreciating the context of that promise or abiding in the way God has revealed himself in other parts of the Bible. How true that is. Well, the angels were there to help Christ. That's true. Just not in the way Satan was suggesting. In fact, after the temptations, the devil left and what happened? Uh, Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. So they were there uh, to help. But you're not trying to force God's hand and and do things your way. Jesus always did it the Father's way. The devil wanted him to do it his own way uh, for his own, you know, self-serving agenda. And he wouldn't do it. But note uh, one other thing that Satan did. He was very selective in what he quoted as seen in verse 11, and also in the sense of not continuing on, not quoting verse 13, which has messianic ramifications as well related to the ultimate defeat of Satan. Note verse 13. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. Well, in the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, Satan is depicted as a serpent. Uh, It was through the serpent that Satan deceived Eve in Genesis 3. We read at the end of the book, like I say, from Genesis to Revelation. In Revelation 12, verse 9, So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, as he's figuratively described, that serpent of old, called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world, he was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. In Genesis 3.15, God said that the seed of the woman, the Messiah, would crush the serpent's head, in effect. 
Now, Psalm 91.13 alludes to this key prophecy, and Satan definitely, I don't think, wanted to go there. I think he recoiled at that part that says, the serpent you shall trample underfoot. How about quoting that to Jesus? <laughs> no, he didn't go there. He didn't want to go there. Stopped right where he wanted to stop. Verse 14 through 16. God's promise and blessing over the one who loves him. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Now these last three verses are spoken of in first person by God. As he speaks his blessing over his people. It applies to those who have set their love upon him. Did you catch that? Because he has set his love upon me. Therefore, I will deliver him. So it applies to those who have set their love on God. God blesses and preserves those who love him. You know, uh, we often quote Romans 8, 28, right? All things work together for good for those who love God. Uh, some people want to just say, everything works together for good. For, for everybody? No, 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 there's a qualifier there. For those who love God, the called according to his purpose. Uh, really, if you don't love God, may, maybe you don't want to claim Romans 8, 28, because that's who it's really addressed to. And that's the, the promise here. Certainly, it applies to the Messiah, uh, who is the only one who ever loved God the Father perfectly in his earthly experience. But then again, there is application for all those who know and love the Lord. Those who know and love the Lord call upon Him. I mean, we look to Him and depend upon Him for uh, deliverance in time of trouble. And how often do we do this? He is our deliverer. Yes, from sin and from hell and, you know, the, the big eternal picture. But even through life, we face all kinds of things all the time. We need deliverance. We need help all the time. We're looking to him. They look to him for deliverance. Verse 15, he shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. God promises within his sovereign will uh, to satisfy this person with a long life and show him his salvation, his deliverance. Ultimately, I think verse 16 finds fulfillment in the resurrection. Uh, we tend to think in terms of this life, but the Word of God has a bigger view that reaches beyond this life. Uh, again, uh, thinking about the Messiah, uh, Psalm 22, Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth. You know, these powerful forces that are against him, uh, figuratively being described all the way through Psalm 22, and from the horns of the wild oxen. And then at the end of verse 21, you know, we got this, deliver me, save me. And then you have answered me. Well, how was this, uh, we call this a crucifixion psalm, right? How, how was he, this answered? Did, did God uh, deliver him from these forces, these powerful forces of evil that were against him? Oh, yeah, he did. In the resurrection. In the resurrection. So I say, sometimes you maybe want to think to the end of the story, the big picture. Sometimes God delivers in the resurrection. Psalm, uh, uh, no, let's see, I got Isaiah here. Isaiah 53, 
Yes, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Again, prophetic about the Messiah. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And again, I think this ultimately has the resurrection in view. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Psalm 21, 4. He asked life from you and you gave it to him. Length of days forever and ever. Warren Wearsby says, This psalm warns about hidden traps, deadly plagues, terrors at night and arrows by day, stumbling over rocks, facing lions and snakes. However, he says, in view of terrorist attacks, snipers, reckless drivers, that's definitely in there, uh, exotic new diseases, and Saturday night handgun specials, the contemporary scene may be as dangerous as the one described in this psalm. Here's the takeaway from this psalm. For those who know and love the Lord, He is our refuge, our fortress, our deliverer, and our protector. We are safe in the sovereign will of God. Christ's life and death were right on schedule, right on the divine schedule. And so is our life and death, whatever God has sovereignly determined for us. And you can rest in that. Our times are in his hand. And we are immortal until our job is done. And beyond that, we are safe and secure for all eternity. Therefore, we can say with the psalmist, The Most High, the Almighty, is my refuge and my fortress. My God. In him I will trust. Indeed, we can trust him. That's the whole point here. This is the secret place of the Most High. This is where we find our security. Indeed, he is our God, and in him we can trust. Let's stand and have our closing song, and then I'll close in prayer. Yeah.